You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional audio resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Amen. Thanks, Josh. Good to see you, church family. Happy New Year, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Northway Church, good to see you. For any guests that are among us here, just grateful you're here with us. My name is Jay Sumlin, one of the pastors here. Grateful you're with us. New Year 2020, the digit has changed and we're still alive. We're still here. We're still good. Thankfully, I am... Uh, my hope is that our, our ultimate hope is not rooted in a digit change. It is rooted in our God that never changes. And so 2020, bring it. That's what I say. 2019, done. Let's go. As you're here, uh, if you got a Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 28. If you got a Bible with you, if you don't, there should be a Bible underneath the seat somewhere around you. That's our gift to you, by the way. You can take that home. We want you to have God's word. We want you to have access to God's word. And uh, Matthew 28 is where we're going to land here in just a bit. As Matt said, it is... Not only a new year, it's a new series. And so as we come out of Advent into 2020, we're launching with a new series called DNA. We're gonna look at just kind of the idea of who we are as Northway Church, the DNA that makes us up as a church. This will be a 14 week series, kind of concentrating on the mission, vision, and values of Northway Church. We'll hit mission this week, vision next week, and then 12 weeks of undergirding values that kind of make up a portrait of a, a disciple that we feel the word of God that Jesus called us to be. And uh, this will run up to Easter, we'll hit Easter. And then on the backside of Easter, we'll launch a new series as we study for the next several years until Jesus returns the book of Romans. Uh, we'll do that, so. But this week, we're gonna look at the mission of Northway Church. Uh, every organization that I know of that's out there, that's every company that's run, every entity that's formulated has got some sort of North Star that they need to put in front of them that helps them remember and understand why they exist. And not only just why they exist, but also a standard that they can continually look upon and look back upon to help them know whether or not they are succeeding in why it is they exist. And uh, most of those North Stars usually come in the form of a mission statement that's kind of put out before the people. And so whether it's the CEO of a company or whether it's the employees of a company, they have the same mission. And uh, there are mission statements all around us and involved in stuff that we use every single day. So when you think about uh, Google, for instance, as a entity, their mission statement is quite simple and yet complex. To organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Like that's a bold statement, by the way. Like when you're starting out Google, you're like, what are we, you know what we're going to do? We're going to, we're going to gather all the information that's ever existed in the world and we're going to bring it all in one place so that people can, and so every day you do, you, you access Rabbi Google for whatever questions you have. Maybe it's through the medium of Rabbi Alexa or Rabbi Siri, and uh, they help you to go to the internet and uh, gives us this information. So Google's mission statement, think about, I thought this one was pretty good. GE, uh, GE has a pretty bold mission statement. It is to invent the next industrial era. Like that's bold, by the way. Like the early 1900s wasn't enough for us. We want another one. And in this one, we're gonna help build, move, power, and I love this, cure the world. Now it doesn't say what from, but they're gonna cure the world. So bring it, GE, cure it, all right, whatever it is. Facebook, old Zuckerberg right here, to give people the power to build community and bring the world closer together. 
So they want to make sure that the six degrees of separation to Kevin Bacon was possible. And so here it is, Facebook bringing the world closer together. That's their mission. That's what they, whether, whether you believe it or not, whether you feel like they're accomplishing it, that's what they believe they exist for. Coca-Cola, I love this one, just quite simply to refresh the world. Just, let's just go with that one. Let's refresh. And you know what? It's actually somewhat true because I was, one of the first mission trips I was on, I was in the jungles of Northern Thailand. I was in a little village called Lampong where there's no running water and yet there are vending machines with Coke in it. Like that, they're refreshing the world one jungle at a time. McDonald's, how about this one? All McDonald's, everybody in here denies they eat there. To be our customer's favorite place and, and, way, and a way to eat and drink. A favorite place, what that, like, for all those that deny that, I quote, I quote the legendary Jim Gaffigan, which goes, they're feeding 68 million people a day. So somebody believes this mission statement's true. Like somebody is experiencing that mission statement. But all of these organizations, and we can go on down the list, look at Amazon, look at some of the big companies that are out there, Uber, they've all got mission statements. This is why we exist. This is what we are here for. The question is, what is our mission statement? What's the mission statement of Northway Church? Like, why do we exist as a church? What are we on planet Earth for? And honestly, when you talk about the mission statement, we gotta go a bit higher than just Northway because we don't exist in a vacuum of and for ourselves. We are a part of a greater sea church that Jesus Christ has redeemed. And our mission statement doesn't come one that just our staff got together and kind of ran with, or even before us, the village kind of ran with. This is a mission statement that has to come from the word of God, has to be one rooted of what God tells us our mission is. And quite simply, we've encapsulated it in this form. We exist to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. It's very clean, it's very simple, but yet it's also very um, it's very intentional because this comes from the Lord God himself rooted in his word that we get. And what we wanna do here this morning is just really unpack the two major phrases that are in that statement. The first, that we exist to bring glory to God. And then the second, that we're gonna do that by making disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and, uh, and those two statements, again, are profound in the scriptures given to us by God. The idea of we exist to bring glory to God. Matt already mentioned it at the beginning of our time in here when he said, you know, all of us, all of us are bringing glory to something. All of us are worshiping something. All of it, the idea of glory means to ascribe value to something. We all ascribe value to lots of different things. And we seek to exalt those things, whether it's a favorite sports team, whether it's a new te technology or device that we just got, whether it's a movie that we just saw, whether it's a food that we just snapped a picture of on Instagram, whatever it may be, we are ascribing value to something and we are esteeming it as such. But yet in the word of God, we are told that there is a glory that goes beyond any other glory that's more worthy of the value that we would ascribe than anything else. And that is God himself. And this is ultimately gonna be part of what God's mission is in the world of his own glory that we would experience and exalt. And uh, I'll never forget John Piper helping me with this as he's helped a lot of us with this. But uh, in my junior year in college, being given the book, Let the Nations Be Glad. And reading through this book and having my eyes opened, which all he's doing is showing me in the scriptures what God has already said, but putting it in a way that I could really see 
and go, man, this really is one of the meta narratives of all of scripture is the glory of God. And uh, in fact, Piper was good to say, you know, that ultimately what God is about is he is passionately committed to the glory and renown of his own name. And he desires that he be worshiped by all the peoples of the world. Like God is ultimately about God. God is ultimately about magnifying his own name above any other name. And the scriptures tell us this, that this is essentially what missions is, what the mission of the church is, is joining God in his passion to love the nations by offering himself to us for our joy found in his praise. Psalm 96.3 tells us this, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Isaiah 12 says the same thing. Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Like it is his name, his renown above anything else that God is ultimately after. Now, when you hear that, let me tell you why that is not some misplaced ego-driven idolatry, but why it is actually loving. Because God knows that creation's greatest joy is found in its creator, not in the creation. And it would be actually cruel and hateful for that creator to withhold himself from his creation. Like true love that God is about, true love is God benevolently giving himself for the rightly placed joy of his people that is found in him alone. If I, as a fallen human being, were to stand up here and tell you and everyone in the world, you need to worship me, that would be evil for a fallen creature to ask creation to worship another part of creation. That would be cruel, that would be evil. But for God, who is the only one that is holy and blameless, the only one that is perfectly good, the one who has created us to experience the greatest joy that can ever be experienced that is found in the one who is worthy of it, it would be unloving for him to withhold himself. It would be unloving for him simply to let us go off and worship other things. That would be evil. That would be cruel. But God in the perfect identity of who he is, the wholeness and the goodness of who he is, has given himself to us that we might rightly place our affections and our worship upon him and not on something lesser. That is where our greatest good is found. That is what is loving. And so because that is true, Piper goes on to say that therefore worship is both the motivation and the end of mission. It is both the beginning and the end of our mission statement. The idea that encapsulates everything we're gonna talk about in making disciples is the glory of God. And he would go on to say that missions exist because worship doesn't. Like the whole reason why we are given a commission to go out and invite people into this relationship with God is because worship doesn't exist. Worship exists on lesser things, idolatrous things. And we have been called to go invite people into the worship of the truest thing that has ever been given to us, that is God himself. Missions is our way of saying the joy of knowing God through relationship with Jesus Christ is not a limited thing. 
It's not exclusive for just a particular group of people. It is for all. It is for all the nations. And that is why we go. That is why we have this mission that we're on because we have tasted the joy of worshiping God ourselves, of being in a relationship with God, of being rescued and delighted in by God. And we want all the peoples of the earth to experience that kind of worship, that kind of glorifying what truly deserves to be glorified. David said the same thing in Psalm 22 when he said, all the ends of the earth are to remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations are to worship before you. They shall worship before you. Seeking the worship of God among the nations is motivated by the joy of our own worship of God. We can't give away what we don't first possess. We can't proclaim to others what we ourselves don't prize. That's ultimately what this is after. Worship, the exaltation and glory of God is both the motivation and the end of mission. This is what God is about, himself, his glory, and inviting others into it. We want at Northway, the glory of God to be at the center of all we say and all we do, not just on Sundays, not just in this one hour, but to be saturated through the entire essence of our lives, of what we're about as a people who bring glory to the name of God because he's worthy. Now, having said that, this first half of our statement, we exist to bring glory to God as we see rooted in the scriptures, becomes important to understand the second piece of our mission statement of making disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, because ultimately what we find is that people must be told about Jesus because there is no true worship of God where the gospel of Jesus Christ is not heard and is not believed and embraced. He is the means to bring reconciliation into relationship with God unto the glory of God's name. Paul or Peter gets this straight in Acts chapter four, verse 12, when he says, there is no salvation in no one else. There's no salvation anywhere else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only through Jesus are we reconciled to God. Only through Jesus can we be brought into this exalting relationship with God. Paul says the same thing, Romans 10 verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Like you, you can't be in relationship with God without a relationship through Jesus Christ. You have to, his name has to be preached. He has to be told about so people can believe and then receive relationship with God. John said the same thing, 1 John 5, 12, whoever has the son is the one who has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. There will be no salvation and no true worship among a people who have not heard and believed in the good news of Jesus Christ. Therefore, our mission to bring glory to God becomes also our mission to make disciples of Jesus who are brought into relationship with God. This has always been his mission, by the way. Everywhere Jesus went, he's dropping his business card. Do y'all know that? Oh, you read through the gospels, everywhere Jesus goes and he's asked about why he's here, why he's doing this or that, he just drops this little business card that says, here's my mission statement. Here's why I'm here. When, when being asked, why are you hanging out with a filthy lowlife like Zacchaeus? 
Why would you even waste your time, Jesus, doing that? Jesus says, here's my mission. Luke uh, 19.10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Do you wanna know why I'm here? Because God happens to love this man and wants this man in a relationship with him and he cannot apart from me. So I am here to go grab this man and bring him into relationship so he can worship and enjoy God forever. That's why I'm here. When confronting the self-centeredness and the self-righteousness of James and John, who are begging for kind of the first chair seat next to Jesus in the kingdom. Jesus goes, no, you don't understand. My kingdom is backwards from yours. I didn't come here just so I can hook everybody up with a four-car garage and a three-story house and white picket fence and a couple of dollars. That's not why I came. The son of man, he says in Mark 10, 45, I came, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I came to trade my life so that you can have life. I came to absorb your death so that you can live. That's why I came. When the people tried to keep Jesus to themselves, because as Christians, that's what we love to do. We love to just hoard Jesus. We don't want anybody else to have what's ours. When they tried to do that, Jesus goes, you got the whole thing wrong. In Luke 4, 43, he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, not just yours, but other towns as well. Why? Because I was sent for this purpose. Jesus had a clear understanding of his mission. He knew why he was on planet earth. He knew what the mission of God was. He knew what his role in it was. And he was seeking to faithfully fulfill it. And that's why Jesus then made it clear to his followers. If you wanna follow me, then you're following the mission of my father. There is no autonomous secondary mission that you get to create for yourself that runs parallel to mine or in contrast to mine. To be a follower of mine means to live on the mission that my father has given us. That is what it means. Just like in any organization, whatever the mission statement of Google is, it's not just for the CEO. If you've been hired by Google, you're following in that mission statement as well. It's the family business. And we have been rescued and redeemed into the family business of making disciples. And thus, this is where we're gonna see this, Matthew 28. Classic passage, you've been steeped in church, you know this is the Great Commission. If you're not, it's gonna be an amazing just to see what the true, clear commission of Christ followers is to be. Matthew 28, follow along with me, starting in verse 16. Jesus had just resurrected from the grave. He had conquered sin, had conquered Satan, conquered death. He's now raised in newness of life. And he tells his disciples, meet me up at the Galilee. I've got some instructions for you. And we get there. So verse 16, the 11 disciples, Judas is out of the picture now. The 11 disciples, they went to Galilee up north to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And notice the first thing the disciples do when they see Jesus, they worshiped him. It's the glory of God on display in their lives. He and he alone, the resurrected Christ, is our ultimate glory. And as soon as they see him, didn't say they just hugged him and they said, so glad you're alive. They worshiped him. They worshiped him. But notice some doubted. There was a few in there that weren't quite sure about this resurrection, weren't quite sure what the implications of mission meant for them. How is this thing gonna get fulfilled? How is this thing gonna play out? And so Jesus says, I'm glad you asked. The first thing you need to know in verse 18 is that this is not your mission, it's mine. 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. My father has been given me a mission. He's been given me the signet ring of authority. He has given me the chair of the kingdom. It's mine and it all begins with me and it ends with me and it is sustained by me. So anything that I'm about to tell you is rooted out of my authority over your life. And he says, following this in verse 19, here's your mission. By the way, such a beautiful um, passage right here. Maybe you've heard it uh, taught. This is like, this is like the, uh, the Great Commission sandwich or the Great Commission cookie. It's like an Oreo. Verse 18 is the power of God. Verse 19 is the purpose of God. And then you get to verse 20, it's the very presence of God. Our purpose is sandwiched into the promise that the authority is God's and it'll never leave us. But here's the mission. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What you're gonna find here in verses 19 and 20 is one key imperative supported by three participles. This is where we go back to the English course that I failed, um, but I've done much research on since. Your English class comes to bear right here. One key imperative, three participles that support this imperative. The key imperative here is make disciples in verse 19. In the original language here, that is the thrust of this passage, to make disciples disciples and is undergirded by three participles in verse 19 and 20, going, baptizing, and teaching. Notice though, in terms of the imperative command, Jesus does not say simply make converts. He does not say get people to simply walk an aisle, pray a prayer, get some sort of hell insurance, and continue living how they were. He doesn't say get them to make a profession of faith. He doesn't say get them to ask Jesus into their hearts. He says, make disciples. The imperative of the church certainly isn't less than conversion, but it sure is a whole lot more than conversion. Making disciples, the word disciple that was used in Jewish nomenclature that is translated here from Greek literally is the word learner. It's learner. But in Jewish nomenclature, you need to know this, whenever you hear about learning in Hebrew culture, it was never just a cognitive academic learning. The Jewish idea of learning wasn't just learning about something, it was learning to be like someone. That's what it was. In fact, when you get throughout the gospels and even when you get to Revelation, you'll, you'll hear oftentimes that phrase, we'll, we'll simply say, uh, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Hearing in Jewish culture was never just soaking in some cognitive understanding. And go, oh, okay, Wikipedia, I got it. I'll memorize that, that's good. Hearing is always associated in Hebrew culture with doing. There is no dualistic understanding. To hear is to obey. And so when you hear that in scripture, that's what they're talking about. When you hear this truth, it's not just that you absorb it in mentally, it's that you'll yield your entire life to it. That's the idea of being a learner, a disciple of Jesus. In, in this context, it's the idea of spending your entire life sitting at the feet of Jesus so you can look like him, 
so that you can live like him, that you can love like him, you can worship him. That's what learning is here, only with the added mission of you not just doing that yourself, but helping others to do it as well. That's what it means to be a true disciple, one who learns to be like Jesus and helps others to do the same in the entirety of their life. And the way this is done, packaged in this context here, is blanketed by a threefold help of participles, going, baptizing, and teaching. And these participles kind of create this arc of our life of being a disciple, a lifelong learner of Jesus, a lifelong follower of Jesus. First begins by going, go therefore, meaning, and, and again, in, in Greek, it's, it's a participle, but it's got the thrust of a verb. It's got the weight of the verb, but it's a participle, meaning the idea is that it begins by understanding that your Christian life cannot be static. You must intentionally move in order to reach others with the message of Christ. The gravitational pull of the flesh will never, will never be on its own towards others-centered discipleship. The gravitational pull of our flesh on any given day is gonna be towards self-centered consumerism. That's why it's so easy in the Western church to just stick on the fringe and never belong. Because in our world, all, all, all we're consumed with is consumerism of what is it that will benefit me? What is it that I can digest? What is it that'll make me feel better about myself? And that's all I need in order to live this life. But that's not what this is about here. This is pushing us a little bit out of delight, not duty, but out of delight for the God who's rescued us. He who came for us now empowers us to go for others. And that's a joy, not a burden, but to go. And we have to fight daily. I have to fight daily this temptation of insulary cocooning in order to actively engage with those around me who are far from Jesus. And that's done both locally and globally, this going. Locally, there is a, a context already upon us that we can already leverage in this room. Every Christian in this room can leverage this context of where you live, where you work, or where you play. Every one of us have these arenas already available to us in our life where there is somebody where we live, somebody where we work, somebody where we play or enjoy recreational hobbies with who does not know Jesus, who is not walking with Jesus, who has not experienced the joy of bring, being brought into relationship with God through Jesus. And we've been called to go in order to initiate the discipleship process with them of calling them into faith, into Jesus Christ. But it doesn't just end locally. This is also a global command. Verse 19 tells us where to go into all nations. The word nations there you've have heard before is probably, it's the word ethne. It's not talking about political states like we have today. It's talking about people groups within these particular camps that are out there, these regions that are out there. I mean, in terms of political states, what we have today didn't even exist to that degree in the first century. Today, we have somewhere around 200 geopolitical nations in the world. But just because there is a Christian in China doesn't mean that all the people groups of China have been reached. In fact, there's 545 people groups within China. 445 of them have no Christians in them. Like there are still 
people groups all over this world who do not have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants those people to be reached with the gospel. And so we must send missionaries there. We must send people there who can go engage those people groups and, and, and open them up and expose them to the gospel of Jesus Christ for the very first time. And by the way, lest that we think that this is for somebody else, the command in the Greek here is plural. Go therefore, the King James English version says, go ye. If you translate that to the King George Texas version, it's go y'all. It's all of us. It's not just one of us. It's not just the pastors. It's not just foreign missionaries. We all have a role to play in going and seeing the gospel go forth unto the nations. And when we go, when we, when we out of joy launch out of our comfort zones to reach others who are far from God, we then invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The language that's used here is baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now we're a Baptist church, and so this becomes a very intentional literal sense for us. Yes, indeed, the word baptizo that's used there means to immerse. As Baptists, we, we know this involves a physical command for water baptism. But that is simply a symbolic act that represents an internal reality that is trying to be conveyed in Jesus's command here. It's the idea of identifying oneself with, transferring one's trust from themselves to another, whereby one is invited to identify not just part of their life, not just a day of their life, but their entire selves into identification with the fullness of a triune God. Through, through the, where this trust is transferred from ourselves, this trust of salvation is transferred from us into God himself offered by the sovereign decree of the Father, accomplished by the substitutionary work of the Son on the cross through his death and resurrection for us and sealed by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's believing the good news of the salvation that God has offered to you, reconciling you to himself through Jesus Christ, being placed now into the body of Christ to live as brothers and sisters on mission. It's what it's speaking to there. We've invited into that. And once we go and once these people have been saved and brought in, then the rest of the ark continues with that third participle of teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. With a new regenerate heart, we as the church get the unspeakable privilege in a community together of teaching and admonishing one another of what it now means to grow in obedience to God through observing Christ's commands in his word, teaching them to obey all that I commanded. This is where biblical literacy becomes in, is so important to us at Northway Church. The truth is you can't teach others what you don't know and apply in your own life. You just can't, you become a ripoff artist. You grab little seeds that have been dropped from different podcasts and, and motivational speakers and a little conference you go to or you pick up a little soundbite from a Sunday sermon, that's not the same as owning the word of God for yourself. You have to know for yourself what Jesus meant by what Jesus said 
so that you can faithfully disciple others to look like Jesus, live like Jesus, love like Jesus and worship Jesus. I am so thankful for my own journey in this. I'm thankful for the men and women who are very intentional and speaking into my life and helping shape me as a learner of Jesus early on. I've shared before, when I got saved, when I first heard the gospel, I was so thankful in high school that somebody shared the gospel with me and the Lord opened my heart to believe and I trusted in Jesus Christ and it was a real conversion. But the idea of discipleship, that was a noun at best. It was never understood as a verb. I knew there were 12 disciples that followed Jesus. But it wasn't until I got to college I moved up to Denton and I had some folks that stepped into my life and showed me how this idea of making disciples was a verb that could be done in and through my life. I'm so thankful for Jared Peterson, who was on staff with Campus Crusade, who was the first to grab a hold of me at UNT and sit me down and open the scriptures and say, let's start talking about what a relationship with Christ truly looks like. Not one in which you just walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, got hell insurance, but one in which you can grow in the joy of knowing the God who has revealed himself to you. And he began to show me and empower me understanding. I'm so thankful for a guy like Brad Bell, who was going through a discipleship program at Denton Bible Church from six to seven in the morning. And he's only two years older than me. And Brad pulls me aside and goes, man, you, why don't you start meeting with me at 7 a.m. and I'll teach you what I just learned from six to seven and I'll teach you from seven to eight. Done. So I'm at his house every morning, 7 a.m. and he's just opening God's word and showing me who Jesus is, this multifaceted diamond of Jesus that has so many sides to it of beauty that he just keeps turning and turning in God's word and showing me. Thankful for John Bryson, my college pastor, who then began to take me under his wing and began to teach me what it means to mobilize this, what it means to now be an others focused and start giving this stuff away. I'm thankful for Tommy Nelson, who began to open God's word and show me 2 Timothy 2, 2, that God isn't just discipling me. He wants me to go take what I've learned from him in the presence of many witnesses and go give it to someone else who will help others as well. This whole cycle of discipleship that began to set forth like a fire in my life that I didn't, I'm not on this earth for just me. I'm on this earth for the glory of God and to invite others into it. And God's given me his word and he's given me his Holy Spirit to empower me to do this. Little old me, me who, who got a zero, zero. My first semester at UNT, I failed every class. You don't have to be the smartest tool, smartest, sharpest tool in the shed or the smartest kid in class. You don't have to be that. The Holy Spirit and God's word is sufficient. And I'm so thankful to move me out. I'm thankful for Brad Bell at one point, sitting under him for three years, him teaching me. And he finally broke up with me. It's the greatest, worst conversation I ever had. When he said, dude, you've been meeting with me for three years. I, I've got nothing left. I have not, you have literally pulled me dry. Like it's, you gotta go. We're not meeting anymore. No more. You're gonna go find somebody else and start meeting with them. I was like, what? Are, does this mean we're breaking up right now? Is this what you're doing to me? Yes, go. And he challenged me to start leading a group of freshmen in college. And I was scared to death, but I began to pour into them and begin to see lights turn on and start doing life with these guys. And the God's word became real. I mean, this was when discipleship caught fire. I can look back now, even when I go back up to Denton, they're like genealogical trees of discipleship where I go. I'll run into somebody and I'll go talk to them and I'll either go, you know, tell me your story and they'll tell me about somebody who invested in them. 
and then the somebody that invested in that person and the somebody that invested in that person. Maybe you can go back generations of genealogical discipleship, trees of intentionality. I'm so grateful for that legacy. But y'all, this wasn't just for that time and that space in the good old days of Denton for me. This still is the mission we're on. And this is the mission of Northway Church. We exist to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus Christ, all of us together. Now, how does that play out? Again, with the glory of God, you need to know that everything that we say or that we do or believe here at Northway, we want it to be epicentered upon the exaltation of God and his name and his work. We do not want this to be a church that is rooted in some sort of moralistic, therapeutic deism where God's the wallpaper in the background of the church, but everything's really about us. And let's just give you five ways to feel better about yourself. That is not why we're here. We're here to make much in the name of Jesus, not the much of Shea Sumlin or the make the much of one of us in this room or some staff or some member. It is about Jesus as the object of our affections and the exaltation of our glorification is for him. And we wanna make disciples. We want, I mean, Matt said earlier, and so rightly so, every one of us, again, we're being discipled by somebody. You're becoming a learner through your social media feeds. You're becoming a learner through your political news channels. You're becoming a learner through your parents and all these things. And some are good and some are not, but we are being discipled everywhere but our true discipleship is one that comes of Jesus Christ. And we're called to go out and help others to become followers of Jesus Christ as well. How does that play out at Northway? A couple different ways. One, let's go through an institutional route. The other is more of an individual route, but we think institutionally as an organization, as a church, as a, as a, a collective whole here, we, we are not the end all be all, but we, we provide spaces to where spiritual forming environments and discipleship opportunities can take place where equipping can take place to help the body grow so we can be more effective disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. One of the easiest and clearest on-ramps that we will continue to push here is that of membership. And you need to know this, when we drop the term membership, that's a cuss word, M word for some folks. This is not a country club. This is not where we try to just get you on some register and try to get your name locked in and give you a name badge and, and uh, give you access to the gym. Good news, you're already in the gym. You don't even have to be a member to that. We got, you got the gym right here, enjoy, free membership. When I, we talk about membership, we talk about meaningful belonging. What it means to be a member of Christ's body. You've been saved into a family. There is no fringe in the family. I don't have daughters that are in the inner circle and other daughters that are not. Like when you're a family, we're all in. This Western idea of consumeristic church attendance where you just live on the fringe, attend a place for 10 years and never get involved, that is so foreign to the scriptures. We have been invited in to the greatest joy that has ever been given to man so that we can belong together and live on this mission together. And so we start with membership. We want you to belong here. We wanna help transition you from being just a spectator to Christianity to being, to being a active participant, from being a, a guest at Northway to being family at Northway. And that, that can start by, we, we've got an on-ramp into membership starting January 25th, here just in a few weeks, from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. right here in this room. We'll start by walking through what that meaningful belonging looks like and we'll walk you through what it is we believe, what is we hold to, and then how we go about in detail living on mission as a church to bring glory to the name of God.
I'd invite you to go on our website, sign up for the next class and come in and check that out and be a part, make some intentional steps there. There's so many other pathways again here. We leverage Sundays, of course. Sundays are not the the, uh, end all be all, but it is a gathering place that the Lord has gifted us with. What takes place in this room, y'all, on a Sunday is bigger than you think where we get to sing the word together, we preach the word, we pray the word, we get to see the word through the ordinances of baptism and communion. We we get to enjoy this together. This is something that you can't do in your car on a radio podcast. This is something you can't do on Spotify. This is a gift the Lord has given us and it's a spiritual forming environment that reminds us of where our North Star is. So we're fueled to go out as a body and effectively reach the city of Dallas with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got pockets of belonging that break down this larger room into smaller rooms that we call gospel communities. And these are opportunities where you can gather with other believers in this church and live on mission together. We've created intentional rhythms in these gospel communities that both help sharpen us and deepen us, encourage us, where we get to serve one another, love one another, help teach and admonish one another, and then also pushes us like Brad Bell did to me. We may come along two years into your group. We may come along two months into your group and go, hey, it's time to break up. We need to, there's other people that are waiting to get in. We need to go reach them and we're gonna mobilize together and we're gonna push one another towards evangelistically reaching our neighbors and inviting people in into inclusive community in this church through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those gospel communities are pathways to do that. We're gonna be talking about those more in the future. Northway training, there's specific training. If you're in here going, listen, I've been a believer for many years maybe, and I still don't, if you told me again to turn to a Haggai, I don't know where to go on that one. You know, then we've got, we've got opportunities to help you understand your Bible, to help you understand your faith, fa- foundations and doctrines of the faith and how they apply of who God is and what he has called of us. And we got... So many equipping opportunities through Northway training and equipping classes you can take care of uh, in terms of care and counseling as well. Man, we're all counseling people every day. The problem is, it's just a lot of it's bad counsel. So we get the opportunity to learn what God's counsel is to a humanity that is in a broken world of what it looks like to speak the truth and the love of God into the brokenness and the sufferings that we all face. And we get to encourage and equip one another to more faithfully do that. We've got lanes for that here at Northway. We're gonna, we even start, I mean, Matt said at the beginning, our prized prized possession is our, our kids in the next room. We always wanna be a next generation church. We don't want this thing to die out with us. We wanna reach the next generation. We wanna grab the kids from the womb all the way into the grave. And we want everything in between. We wanna begin instilling discipleship and biblical values and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the exaltation of God at a young age with our kids so that there's not yet another generation who raises up and does not know the Lord. We want them to know. And so these lanes have opened up here. We've got go groups and missions mobilization opportunities where we can help you understand how to evangelize, how to share your faith, We can help you begin to discern opportunities where you live, work, and play around you of how to leverage those. You can get in part of our go groups and be a part of that training. And and then we can even push you towards considering going outside of your comfort zone, getting outside of Dallas across to the nations. We've got those lanes available here. Those are all of these. Again, we'll walk through over the next couple of months as we explore the undergirding values of our mission and form a unique portrait of the kind of disciple that Jesus has called us and saved us to be. But the question I also have, in in addition to institutional, kind of Northway as a whole, but just individually, personally, what does discipleship look like for you? Um, 
who, who will you be discipling this year? Who will be discipling you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ this year? Right now, everybody, it's a new year, digit changes. Everybody's laying out goals. I would love for us to consider what our intentional steps for discipleship will be. Every one of us, what that'll look like. I'll never forget Howard Hendricks, one of my profs in seminary, a mentor of mine, who said, Shay, let me just tell you something that'll help you early on as a Christian. At all points in your life, you need three people always present in your life, or at least three groups of these people present. And if you don't have this, you need to write this down because I wrote it down and it has paid dividends. You need three people. You need a Paul, you need a Barnabas, and you need a Timothy at all points in your life. You need a Paul. You need an older man or an older woman who is more spiritually advanced than you are, who's down the road a little bit from you, who's paid some dumb tax for you that you can glean from right now. Someone who can help boost your walk with Christ, who can help answer questions, life questions that you have, who can point you to the sufficiency of God's word, who can help you understand your faith rooted in God's word and alive to the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody who can help raise the bar of expectation and give you a target to chase after that God has given us in this life. Someone who will point you to Jesus. We all need that older person. It is a lie of the ages to think that you have everything you need in you. To think that what you need is just everybody that's just like you around you. We need to, and you don't have that person in your life, go find them, go find them. And if we need to start doing like e-harmony for mentoring in here, we'll do it. Be awkward, but I'd rather have a whole lot of awkward than a whole lot of nothing. But let's be intentional. Pursue. Find somebody who's older. Go ask them to breakfast. Can I pick, some, pick your brain and ask you some questions? And if it's awful, then move on to somebody else. But go do something. Same way you need a Barnabas in your life. You need someone who is on your level spiritually and emotionally. Someone who's probably closer to your own age, similar life conditions to your own. But here's the key. Someone who loves you, but is not impressed by you. Someone who is willing to call you to the carpet and hold you accountable to any ongoing sin patterns in your life that can continue to sharpen you. That's what a true friend is, not one that just has shared hobbies together. A true friend is the friend who can say the hard stuff to you and you'll be teachable enough to listen. And you can do that for one another, a mutual a mutual sharpening. You need a Barnabas. And then lastly, you need a Timothy, someone less spiritually advanced than you, whom you can take under your wing. You can invest in someone who will come to you for advice, someone whom you can help answer life's questions with and give some direction as they mature along, someone that you can point them to God's wisdom from God's word, somebody that you're actively investing in in the next generation who's coming up along under you. We all need those three people. Maybe that's a starting place for you this year to identify who those three people are uh, or at least three groups of those people. Maybe I just be one person. I, I got like seven Pauls at any one time that I need in my life. But make no mistake, this is our mission to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. In this season, please hear me, Northway Church. I do not want the narrative of this church to be about a tornado. I do not want the narrative and the mission of this church to be about building a building. We may have to pull our pennies together and try to rebuild that sanctuary, but I do not want that to be the front news story anymore for Northway Church. 
I want our church to be about what God has called us about before the tornado, during the tornado, and long after the tornado. And that is to bring him glory by making disciples, starting here in the city of Dallas under the ends of the earth. This is why we are here. And the good news of this is that this mission will not fail. Jesus told us in Matthew 16, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. We as Northway Church, as a 501c3, we may come and go in this life. I don't know. But the mission of Christ's church that we are given our lives here for, it will not fail. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 24, verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all people groups, all nations, and then the end will come. The end has not come because we have not finished yet. The mission is still alive. May we as Northway Church be a people who live for the glory of God by making disciples through Jesus Christ, both here and through the ends of the earth. Amen? Amen. This is who we are.